Hello, Homerites. Welcome back to the Homer podcast. We've been taking a short break. Well, it's been a, a quite a significant break over a number of months, but I am delighted to have Dr. Anulika Agina on the podcast. I'm going to be talking to Anulika about her work in Nigerian screen worlds. Anulika is currently a postdoctoral research fellow uh, in Nigerian screen worlds, a subset of the African Screen World Decolonizing Film and Screen Studies Project, uh, which is funded by the ERC at SOAS uh, University of London. Anuka's background is in media and communication studies with a focus on Nigerian film and culture, which she's been researching since 2009 at the Pan-Atlantic University in Lagos. Uh, in 2015, Anulika obtained a PhD in Nigerian film from the University of Westminster, where she co-organised African film conferences for three years. Her research interests include representations of the past and conflict in film, reception studies, media effects, cinema-going cultures in Nigeria and Ghana, film and social change, and the variety of screens through which audiences engage with African film. Anulika was a recipient of the African Film Fellowship at the University of Cape Town in 2016, and she co-edited African Film Cultures in 2017 and published the first article fully devoted to contemporary cinema going in Lagos in 2019. So I'm very, very excited to have her on. So thank you for joining us. It's a, it's a real pleasure and a real privilege, and, and I look forward to, to hearing all about your work. So for anyone not familiar, uh, what can you tell us about the African screen? world's decolonizing film and screen studies project. What are your aims, for example? Thank you very much, Pete. I'm delighted to be able to share my research um, with Homerites, as you put it today. I think I should begin answering that question by going back to 2011, when I arrived the UK to start my doctoral studies. I was in a class with 24 other uh, students and I realized that most of them, if not all, didn't even know where Nigeria is on the map. As disappointing as that was, I sort of recovered my calm and decided to begin all of my presentations on the doctoral program by explaining first where Nigeria is and that it has a dominant film industry. And so African Screen World's Decolonizing Film and Screen Studies is a project that was launched in June 2019, which is led by Lindiwe Dovi, based at SOAS, and is funded by the European Research Council. It's a five-year project and our aims are several. First, we want to fully incorporate and center the films and scholarly work of Africans and people of culture. Because I think that even though film started in Europe, it's fair to say that film has traveled beyond uh, the boundaries of Europe and that there are legitimate film industries in other parts of the world, in Africa, in Asia and elsewhere that should also be studied in the way that um, European cinema or Hollywood, for example, um, is studied. We want that the experiences of Africans based on the continent 
in terms of film production and consumption are factored into global film studies curricula, right? And not just the ones of those in the diaspora. You know, we want to reject that binary that's inherent in the concept of world cinema. You know, I've seen um, film studies syllabus where you have American film industries or cultures, and then you have the European ones, and every other is categorized under world cinema. Mm -hmm. Without that respectful differentiation, you know, that should um, be given to Africa and even countries within Africa. So it's important to the Screen Worlds project that we begin to recognize the important work being done in different countries uh, by filmmakers and also by scholars who are studying these cultural products. We also want to engage in cross-regional comparative analyses of film industries, cultures, scholarships, and we want not just to do this by ourselves, but in a very collaborative way. So our method has been predominantly collaborative in the sense that we work with scholars who are based in Africa, and we also organize events around um, the films of people based in Africa and Asia. You know, we want that cross-cultural conversations to continue going on so that many more people can come to realize that um, there are legitimate film industries in other parts of the world and that they should take their place in global film studies curricula. It's uh, crucially important to us. And that's why the Screen Worlds project has three major case studies. The first is African Screen Worlds. And there are three of us who are studying different parts of Africa. So I do the Nigerian beat. My colleague, um, Michael Thomas, does the Ethiopian um, screen walls aspect of it. And the principal investigator, who's Lindiwe, does the South African one. And you know she's also uh, versatile in sub-Saharan African cinema cultures, which she's been teaching um, at SOAS for over a dozen years now. And so we bring together filmmakers as well as scholars in these different uh, geographical locations so that we can um, encourage an ongoing conversation. We have also tried to prepare toolkits which are available on our website to anyone who wants to start teaching African cinema um, in their modules or their uh, courses, because we believe that it's not enough to point out what's missing you know, but also show people how to go about something that they know little about. And we believe that that's a constructive way to um, decolonize in addition to the conversation, the various conversations that we have, which are ongoing and which we would continue to do even beyond the life of the Screenworlds project. Could I just take you back to 2011 there? When you were sort of starting on your educational journey, here did the defects in the curricula did they leap out to you at, at all times and 
Do you see these toolkits that you're creating now? Can you see that this is likely to be something that could actually address these? Uh, well, I've called them defects. What was your experience? Did you learn anything about sort of African cinema as, as you were starting out here in 2011? And if not, how was that as a, as a student here? <laughs> Thank you for that question. I can't help laughing at it because when you use the word leap out to you, of course it leapt out to me. I mean, it was glaring. And what I found particularly disappointing is that people did not just know where Nigeria is on the map. They weren't interested. That's what left me. I mean, it was shattering to me at the time that you know, when I spoke about Nigeria or Nollywood, as the film industry has come to be called, I got a blank stare. You know, people were indifferent to what I was talking about. So mm. I went from a position of disappointment to one of activism. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't as if I was trying to force down people's throats the idea that Nigeria exists or that it's in West Africa or that it has a film industry that has now been called Nollywood, for example. Mm -hmm. I was only trying to get them to appreciate that this is something important and that it ought to have an important place in global screen studies curriculum. And not just Nollywood, because you have different kinds of film industries on the continent, from South Africa to Ghana to Kenya to Zambia and so on. Mm. As different as they may be for what people are very familiar with, which is, let's say, British uh, film industry or American film industry, it has its own place, you know, and people should be more accommodating, not just tolerant, but they should be accommodating of this because it's people's lives, you know, it's people's work, it's people's culture. And mm. I think we've gone past the stage of one culture being better than the other, right? We're far mm -hmm. beyond that point now. So in terms of the toolkits, I strongly believe that the toolkits will address uh, some of the problems I saw at that time. But then there's got to be willingness, you know, there's got to be that openness and the conversation because I've had interested people say to me, okay, if I want to teach African cinema on my course, how do I go about it? So the mm. questions of access arose, where do I find the films and how can I speak to these films when I don't even know the contextual background and so on and so forth. And the very simple and direct answers that I have given to them at that time is, look, we can always start from somewhere. We can collaborate. Right. I get invited to talk about Nigerian film at different institutions, you know, uh, many of which I have to turn down for want of time. Mm. You know, but there are so many others who are willing to do it. So, I mean, one can include guest lectures, for example. You know, they can be electives that people can opt in and opt out, you know, as the case may be. It could be just to watch and review and, you know, include some background texts that people can read in order to familiarize themselves with the geographical locations and the socioeconomic conditions from which these films are made. So mm. I think that there's a lot that can be done. What we, what I have had to deal with in the past is a lack of willingness. Mm. But as soon as people are ready to engage in that collaboration, you will see that there are many options open to them and we can start from somewhere. We're very happy to be consulted on the Screen Worlds project. We always receive emails inviting us, one of us or the whole team, to talk about our project, to do this, that, and the other. And the latest we've received now is from Mexa, inviting Lindiwe to talk about 
decolonization in the curriculum. And that's our opportunity to share our toolkits. That's our opportunity to engage with other scholars in other places so that we can co-create more toolkits to enable people to fill all of those gaps. I mean, nothing is as annoying as saying to someone, your culture is not important or mm -hmm. it may be important to you, but it's not important to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a, a bit about Nigerian film culture? Is Nigerian film culture Nollywood or is there is there something beyond that? I've heard you talk about the, the great sort of business acumen of, of uh, people working in this industry, about uh, the, the great engagement with new technologies or the willingness to engage with new technologies. So can you just tell the listeners about Nigerian film culture? Right. Thank you for that um, question. It's a very, very broad one, you know, uh, but I'll try to summarize. And I mean, you can pick up um, some of the bits of, of the things that I see. So historically, the traditional traveling theater is a major precursor of film in Nigeria. And by that, I mean commercial filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Nollywood, the term Nollywood is one that was actually coined by an American journalist who went to Nigeria and was trying to make sense of the film industry in Nigeria in the 2000s. And he was trying to describe it, of course, to a Western audience, you know, something that looks like Hollywood, but is not quite non, uh, Hollywood. And then he came up with that uh, term, Nollywood, of course, Nolly coming from Nigeria, which at the time people resisted because it didn't exactly describe what the film industry was. We're not trying to copy Hollywood. But, you know, with time, the name stuck and it's now come to be used to describe the Nigerian film industry that's based in the southern part of the country. You know, because within Nigeria, there are, we could say, different film industries operating in the north, in the south, in the west, you know, as well as in the east, but they haven't all taken a wood title, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. So all of them have been subsumed under that term, Nollywood. Mm -hmm. But of course, when you get involved in uh, Nollywood studies or the film industry, you find that there are very many industries, you know, but, you know, uh, it's just a descriptive term, so mm -hmm. to speak. Right, so the traveling, so I now go back. Nollywood actually began in 1992, but before 1992, there was a vibrant film culture in Nigeria. And the first generation filmmakers, like we like to call them, made films on celluloid. Many of them had been trained in America and in the UK, and they returned to Nigeria and started making films from the 1970s on celluloid and that went on for about a decade but in the 1980s there were economic problems that led to the devaluation of the Nigerian currency the naira at the time and so they could no longer afford to purchase the celluloid format or even to take their films to the UK to process them in order to return them to Nigeria to be distributed and so on. So that led to a decline of filmmaking. This is after the traveling theater troops had actually popularized performance and uh, presentation of drama. And then they actually started 
filming their drama. I mean, it was just a way of reaching wider audiences. So they would use whatever camera they could lay their hands on at the time and film their drama. And then they sent them to other parts of the country that, you know, broadened their audience base and returned more profits to them. But when these filmmakers who had trained abroad returns to the country, then they started filming, you know, with um, this technology, which was better. And somehow they took over the uh, film industry at the time. But then the economic downturn came and uh, film production uh, literally came to an end. But then in 1992, there was a businessman called Kenneth Nebwe who had a large collection of VHS cassettes in his warehouse and, you know, didn't know how to dispose of them. Instead of just selling them off as empty VHS cassettes, he decided to hire a couple of people to write a drama for him because the country was already familiar with storytelling, performances, acting, and so on. And so he got this group together and they made a film titled Living in Bondage, which was really about the pursuit of wealth, you know, in the very poor socioeconomic situation uh, that people found themselves in. And that film was a massive hit. You know, it became a massive hit that many jumped on the bandwagon and thought, okay, this looks like a productive something uh, a productive opportunity, something that's perhaps more lucrative than what they were doing. So many got onto that train and started making films as well and releasing them directly on VHS cassettes and, you know, distributing them across the country. And from the VHS cassettes, they also started putting them in VCDs because it was easier and much cheaper to do that. And before long, piracy set in because they were distributing these films on uh, video CDs, people could replicate them, you know, and export to other parts of a country and, you know, kept the proceeds to themselves, which wasn't amusing as can be imagined to the filmmakers. And so production stopped at the time. People started thinking of how else to make their films and distribute them in a way that was profitable because they needed to continue making films. And that eventually gave rise, not immediately, but eventually gave rise to the establishment of cinema theaters where people could go to watch films. Fortunately, or should I say, unfortunately, the first one that was built in 2004 didn't admit Nigerian films immediately because people were already accustomed to watching Hollywood, to watching Chinese films and Indian films, which were better quality in their interpretation than the Nigerian films. Mm -hmm. Remember that, you know, the economic meltdown had happened. People didn't have a lot of money to make films. When they got money at all, it was through their own personal savings and their personal contacts. And so the production budgets for the films were considerably smaller. In fact, Jonathan Haynes, you know, the most prolific uh, scholar of Nigerian cinema, said that the money that Nigerians used to make films wasn't even enough to buy the coffee and donuts on an American film production, right? So it was that little, you know, but that's what they had at the time. And imagine making films with such little money and then all of that disappears to the pirates. You know, so people were looking for other ways of making and distributing their films in a profitable way. So anyway, the cinema was built in 2004. 
it became an elitist kind of thing. So again, the problem lingered. The problem for Nigerian filmmakers you know, went on and on, not knowing how to distribute their films. And um, then some people started building community cinemas as a way of distributing film, but that didn't generate enough money for the filmmakers. So again, there was that period of no production in the industry. But what then happened was that people started noticing because of the sheer volume of the films, of the films that had been made before this period of no production. There were lots of films and they were being transported, circulated to other parts of Africa and even to America for people, for Africans in the diaspora to watch. And that brought some money to the filmmakers. And with that, you know, they started making films of better quality. People started going to the New York Film Academy to train and they returned with greater expertise and know-how and, you know, it generally improved the quality of the film. And with that improvement came bigger investments from corporate Nigeria, for example. And so they were able to take the films to international film festivals. And from there, they had better distribution options. And so the film industry or the film culture sort of thrived again after the not so profitable periods that the filmmakers had. So in a nutshell, that's what Nigerian film production has been like. In terms of consumption, Nigerians have been avid consumers of entertainment in whatever form it came. You know, you always have an audience because it's a large country well, there are almost 200 million people in the country now. So whichever direction you turned, there was someone to watch your film. The question is, how are you giving it to them? Do they have to pay for it? Or are you giving it to them on, you know, on a platter of gold? There were different questions that had to be answered at the time. People are always willing for free content. But by the time the films became better, people realized that they had to pay for this. You know, mm. at that time, apart from this elite cinema theater that had been built in Highbrow, Lagos, other cinemas were coming up and they started admitting Nigerian films because the quality was better and could compete favorably with Hollywood. And people started going to the cinemas and that brought about, you know, the recognition that the industry now has locally and internationally. Uh, you're in the process of making a, a film on the history of the birth of the Nigerian film industry. What can you tell us about this, this film that you're making? So in addition to the toolkits we are making in our Screen Worlds project, we're also making films that describe the film industries we've been researching and there are some documentaries on Nigerian film cultures, and they have focused largely on the actors, the directors, uh, producers, and so on. And then I thought that when we talk about the success of a film, there are groups of people that we're talking about as well without actually mentioning who they are, i.e. the audiences, the exhibition entrepreneurs, or the distributors. So I decided to make a documentary on the audiences and the exhibitors, because I think that they are important parts of, you know, the film production and consumption um, circuit. And they are very often left out of the narratives of the successes of films all over the world. So I started with the exhibitors. So my documentary is actually looking at 
film exhibition in Nigeria historically, and also from a contemporary point of view, to bring to the fore what has been driving these businessmen, you know, what their joys and their pains have been and how they have surmounted all, all the obstacles in their path to continue lighting up the screens for the numerous audiences that they have, not just in Africa, but all over the world. So that's what the first part of the documentary is about on film exhibition. The second part would be on audiences, because I sort of feel, again, disappointed when you hear all the beautiful narratives about, you know, box office takings and how a film has gone from a million dollars to, you know, five million dollars. And whose money is it? Right. And I don't think that the people who give their time, who give their enthusiasm to the films, who are avid fans of those filmmakers should be left out. So it's time that we listened to their their own experiences. Right. What pleasures do they have in consuming Nigerian film? What disappointments have there been for them? What else would they like to see? How do they do their work of interpretation and what exactly does it mean to see their own kinds of stories, their own realities being played out in Nigerian films? You know, and this has come, I've been largely inspired in this project by Laura Fair's book, Real Pleasures, the 2018 book in which she examined um, Tanzanian film culture in the 20th century. It's an excellent book that's inspired my own work largely. Is the documentary sort of going to be as contemporary as looking at the recent challenges that have arisen because of uh, the pandemic? Or or is that sort of out of your remit for this documentary? Yeah, so um, I started making this documentary in March 2020 early March actually. And at that time, yes, there, there were talks of the pandemic, but you know we hadn't been as badly affected by it as we now are. So there are parts of a documentary that do not reflect at all on COVID, but with what has transpired between then and now, it would be out of place to finish the documentary without you know reflecting on that. So yes, that's going to be part of it. Um, I've listened to film exhibitors talk about the very difficult times they had in the year from March till September because the lockdowns were lifted um, properly for uh, cinema operators in October. It was only in October that that people could actually go back to the cinema. So you can imagine the months of nothing, you know, just sitting Mm. at home and biting one's finger and thinking Mm -hmm. what's the government going to throw at us and so on. Um, So yes, that's going to uh, feature in it. Can you tell us about the evolution of uh, Nigerian screen worlds in recent years? What, what I've I've heard this term new Nollywood. What's what 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 can you tell us about that? <laughs> Interesting. What's new about new? So first, we should know that new Nollywood is a controversial term because there are people who think, "Excuse me, what do you mean by new?" Really, you know, <laughs> there's always there's always something that's new. You know. Again, because the term was used to describe something that's better than the past. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you belonged to the past, you wouldn't like to hear a new Nollywood because it sounds like someone saying you're not or you weren't good at what you did, which you know can be difficult to take. But again, Jonathan Haynes has done an excellent job in his book 
um, Nollywood published in 2016 and 2017, depending on which edition uh, you're reading. And he gives in it the essential features of new Nollywood. So when Nigerian films started screening at the multiplexes within the country, it meant that the quality had improved. It meant that the sound, because one of the, you know, perpetual problems, if I may use that word, that even festival uh, programmers have used to describe Nigerian films is that the sound is very bad. The technical quality, generally speaking, you know, has been mm. poor, you know, but when they started making better films and the sound was good, you know, and other aesthetic, other aesthetic elements in it were perfectly okay, mm-hmm. then that term, people started throwing around the term new Nollywood when you could actually go to the cinemas and sit down and watch a Nigerian film and not just an American one. So new Nollywood is a term used to describe better quality films, bigger budgets through bank loans prior to this time, prior to 2009, because new Nollywood really, the, the, the temporal marker of new Nollywood is from 2009 with the release of a film titled The Figurine by Kunle Afolayo, who's one of the um, prominent directors in the country right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so being able to attract a bank loan to make a film, meaning that you have a bigger budget. And then corporate Nigeria also got hugely interested and started investing uh, money in productions. Um, they were going to international film festivals, particularly Toronto. And then global attention and international media spotlight, you know, started also trailing, so to speak, these filmmakers, and they could get international distribution, and even were able to sub- to make submissions to the Academy uh, of Motion Pictures, you know, so like seeing films that could actually stand uh, competitively with films from the US, uh, films from Britain, you know, excellent films from India as well, really marked uh, or can define the term new Nollywood. Nigerians love entertainment, you know, and they always want a good laugh. So this new Nollywood period seems to be dominated by the comedy genre. Right. Oh, films have been, you know, melodramatic in uh, very many ways. But now it seems that comedy is much more successful. You know, comedy with an injection of, you know, serious stories, but always that element of comedy because people want to laugh. And also people are trying to uh, overcome in their own ways the socioeconomic, the bite in socioeconomic conditions of a country. Mm-hmm. And again, Importantly, global streamers uh, are increasingly becoming interested in content from Nigeria, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. particularly Netflix and now Amazon Prime. Now there are over a hundred titles on Netflix and that's growing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that speaks to the quality of, of the films coming from the continent and the kinds of stories that are people are telling very important stories and by Nigerians themselves, it's no longer the situation where um, non-Africans are telling African stories, you know, with all the biases Mm. and stereotypes that that could Mm. um, come with. You've got this 
potentially huge audience in Nigeria itself. And yet international distribution and international audiences are still are still sort of strived for, would you say, by the filmmakers? Is that reflected in the sort of the aesthetics of the films, the, the stories, the genres? Yes, I would say it's reflected in it, but um well perhaps not in a negative way you know i get asked that question every so often and i think one of the things that people are itching to hear is and please correct me if i'm wrong is mm-hmm. is netflix influencing your narratives what kinds of stories mm-hmm. are you able to tell mm-hmm. on a netflix platform right and um as far as I know, the stories are coming from the filmmakers themselves, mm-hmm. right? Because they are the ones, I mean, Netflix has approached these filmmakers, you know, to license their films or even for original productions, but it's their story. Netflix has come in when it comes to um, the technical bits of it, you know, improving the lighting or the sound and, you know, other things to make it look and feel good. Mm-hmm. But the narrative, the core narrative itself has come and is coming from Nigerians. If Netflix has its own agenda in terms of storytelling, I think they would always want that it has that cultural flavor. You know, there was a time mm-hmm. that Nigerian filmmakers were accused of trying to make films like Americans. And they were told that they were going to fail woefully because, I mean, this was like feedback from audiences and from scholars. You know, you're going to fail woefully because you're not America and America is not looking to see itself in you or in your stories. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you tell your own stories and you have so many possibilities, you know, within your own culture to tell your own stories, then of course, they would take you for who you are. And mm-hmm. I think that's what people really want to see because that's what they don't have. You know, in terms of filling the knowledge gaps that people in the West have about Nigeria or Africa, it's the Nigerian culture you want to see. It's not um, a projection of American culture in Nigeria that they want to see, at least in my own opinion, that's what it is. So um, I don't think that those global streamers have actually influenced the stories in the way that people are thinking or expecting to happen. Although, of course, one of the things that has come out from this collaboration with Netflix and the other uh, global streamers is that um, they are getting around the kinds of censorship that the Nigerian regulators may have imposed on them. For example, in 2019, a film was released that's titled Oloture. Oloture is about um, human trafficking. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that's a huge topic that Nigeria has dealt with for so long and continues to deal with. And it's a story that also, um, well, should I say, is of interest in this part of the world, you know, because of many things, including migration, legal and illegal migration and so on. Um, So that film was made and released directly on Netflix. It, and it wasn't submitted to the Film and Video Censors Board in Nigeria. If it had been, if it hadn't been submit, uh, sent directly to Netflix and had to go through that censorship board, a lot of things would have happened, including possibly banning the film. I guess it's, 
a film on a subject like that is going to be a challenge not only for censors and things it's also going to be a challenge getting that to audiences particularly uh, audiences that are looking for comedy and can I take a slight left turn now and ask you a bit, a bit more I guess very more specifically a bit about your your own research one of the first questions I'm I'm really interested in, have you done any kind of comparative work across screen worlds perhaps across different African nations or comparative work between, for example, Africa and, and parts of Asia? Or, or, or have you been involved in any, any sort of comparative work like that? Right. So the Screen Worlds project um, has as, as one of its core aims this kind of comparative work. So one of our case studies is the global Screen Worlds. And what that uh, was conceived or intended to do is to bring African scholars and African filmmakers in conversation with their Asian counterparts. Mm-hmm. For the last uh, two and a half months, we've been having workshops where people, scholars who are researching Africa or Nigeria or, well, Africa largely, are co-authoring papers with Asian scholars or people who are researching Asian film cultures, South Korea, uh China mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah, so that's an essential part of our work. And we're also going to edit a book on our team. We have a professor of East Asian uh, cinema, Kate Taylor Jones, and she's editing a book with Lindiwe on global um screen worlds. And that's you know actually designed to bring these different groups into conversation and see how much um reacher that kind of collaborative work can can bring and how it can also show what parallel developments, you know, what connections, you know, and disjunctures we have in in our experiences of film production or scholarship as well as consumption. Mm -hmm. Um, Then for my own work specifically, uh, until this moment, I haven't done any collaborative work. I did attempt back in 2018 to do some work in Ghana, and it's something that I still have, you know, um, as my goal. I hope I achieve that before I die. Okay. At that point in 2018, I went to Ghana on a very, very tiny budget uh, because I had a, co- uh, a collaborator there at the University of Ghana, and we tried to explore the film cultures of the two countries. Um, and to co-author a paper together. But I mean, it was quite um, a disappointing experience because that fell through for so many reasons. And mm-hmm. I had to go back to the drawing board to redesign the study and then to see how to um, achieve that without uh, my collaborator. He sort of pulled out of the project, you know, for personal reasons, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I need to um, go back to that again. Yes, but it's something that I'm very much thinking about. And then um, in January, a colleague at SOAS and I are going to start a series of roundtables with women filmmakers. So we're starting with Nigeria and Senegal. Mm-hmm. We're inviting women filmmakers in the two countries to talk about their own experiences of filmmaking and how they have, you know, weathered the storm or defied the odds to make mm-hmm. films in uh, contexts that tend to be so patriarchal, you know, and sometimes disrespectful of women you mm-hmm. know yeah so i mean that's going to begin in january one of the the most recent articles uh, is about lagos specifically what can you tell us about cinema going in in lagos 
Well, um, Lagos is an important part of Nigeria for many reasons. Nigeria currently has 56 cinema locations, 241 screens, and a little over 20,000 seats. You know, and when you look at that in a country of 200 million people, you find that it's a far cry, you know, from mm. um, exhibition in terms of numbers. You know? yeah. So there are very few cinemas there. But like I said earlier, Nigerians love entertainment and Nigerians are also showy people, if you know what I mean. Mm. And cinema going has that character of showiness. You know, people want to go to watch films you know, because it's a way of, of showing off in addition to enjoying the films, of course, but it's also a way of, you know, saying, I have more disposable income now. I want people to see me. I want to be seen as well. I want to take pictures for my social media platforms. Mm -hmm. In addition, of course, to enjoying the experience of seeing a film. So uh, that's what cinema going really is like, because, you know, when you think about it, there are lots of Nigerian films on YouTube, you know, the local television stations also show lots of Nigerian films. So people are not looking for content in Nigeria. Yeah. And the cinemas are expensive to attend, you know, and I mean, comparatively, because here people may not find it expensive. If, for example, I say that a cinema ticket in Nigeria could be three pounds, whereas in London it's 10 or 12 or even 15 pounds, mm. you know, but three pounds in Nigeria is 2,100 naira, you know, and you're not just thinking about the ticket. You are also thinking about the refreshments, you know, you're thinking mm-hmm. about the taxi or the car that you're going to drive in and so on. So it comes to, you know, uh, a considerable amount of money when you also consider that a minimum wage in Nigeria is 30,000 naira, which is about 42 pounds per mm-hmm. month. That's nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when people go to the cinema, they're going one to enjoy the film all right, but also to, to, to show off, you know, mm-hmm. to, you know, see, it's like a, a status symbol, or, yeah, that they've come to this wealth and they want to be seen, they want to have fun, because the truth also is that there are not many options uh, of entertainment in Nigeria, you know, we don't have so many museums and arts exhibition and whatnot that, you know, you have in this country, for example, and mm-hmm. so that's the one thing or the one place that people could go to and also because the cinemas are located in big shopping malls. So people would also want to do some kind of shopping, even if it's just window shopping, you know, mm-hmm. to see what's out there in those very posh shopping malls, you know, that are very modern and similar to the Westfields you have uh, in London, for example. Yeah. I remember reading that that often it's couples um, that that go to to the cinema. It it seemed to be quite often couples. Uh, Do you get a sense that there is a film fan or a a community of film fans? Do you get the the same sense of this in in and around Nigeria? Absolutely, yes. We have that. And you will see that uh, actors and actresses, for example, have huge followership on their social media platforms. 
right? The most prestigious of them, for example, Genevieve Naji or Funke Akindelebelu, could have up to 100 million followers on Instagram. Wow. So they have this huge fan base, yes. So uh, it's something that's very prominent. You have dedicated people whose, you know, quote unquote, only work is just to follow the filmmakers and mm-hmm. the, the actors and the actresses because they love what um, uh, they're doing. You know, for some, it's aspirational also. They want to see themselves in that position you mm-hmm. know, in years to come. And so one of the ways of achieving that is by following these people to see what they do. And some are just happy, satisfied with the sheer entertainment and the amount of work that these people put into, you know, lighting of the screens. So we have a very huge uh, um, fan base. Filmmakers mm-hmm. and actors and actresses have huge fan bases. Now, I don't know that anyone is currently involved in studying fandom uh, in Nigeria as you have in other parts oh, of the world. Interesting. Be an interesting um, piece of work to actually get into. But yes, Nigerians follow. And what's happening now also is that popular musicians, because Nigerian music is also hugely popular on the continent, mm-hmm. that's also having ripple effects in other parts of the world. So musicians are now being cast in specific roles in films. Uh-huh. So sometimes they are cast to feature us themselves as a musician like Bonaboy, who's recently won a prestigious award, you know, could appear in a film as himself, Bonaboy, or he could come in to play another role. And so the, the fan base that they have already accumulated from mm-hmm. their music is automatically transferred to that particular film project. Yeah. Right? And so yeah. that can only expand. That's what it's doing. It's expanding. I mean, filmmakers are, are using it as some strategy to reach wider audiences, you know, particularly men, you know, because men would follow music, but they won't actually follow films, especially when it's very comical. You know, research has shown that women are the ones who are mostly interested in Nigerian films. And that's also what I found in my own research and cinema going. There were many more women all the time for all the shows than there were men. And so a way of actually drawing in the men, you know, distracting them a little bit from the football, you know, the uh, European Premier League or the English Premier League that they often watch. their favorite musicians into these roles in films and uh, try to realize, you know, bigger audiences, more money, prestige, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Yeah, so fascinating. Thank you. Um, and so, so I should mention that the, the the article that we're sort of referring to here is called "Cinema Going in Lagos: Three Locations, One Film, One Weekend." Could you outline what 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 it was you hoped to achieve um, with with the project, and what what sort of your major findings were, if you if you haven't mentioned uh, some of them already? <laughs> Thank you so much, Pete. That's an interesting question. You know, um, when you ask this question, I mean, two things come to mind. The first is, should I tell you the plain truth why I did this research? Or should I just tell you what I think? I mean, scholars would like to hear. <laughs> I would really like the, I'd like both. I'd like both versions, personally. <laughs> okay, so the plain truth is, when I finished my uh, PhD, which was 
primarily on representation. You know, it was film and politics that I did, and I was just trying to look at the um, representational strategies of filmmakers uh, in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. I found that there was such a shortage of audience studies. Time and again, I tried to study how people responded to those films I was examining in my uh, doctoral thesis. And I found none, literally none, apart from journalists writing about how the films fared at the festival or whether they won awards and all that. And that was just too little. In fact, it was nothing compared to what I was looking for. So I knew that there was this big gap in audience research. And I was looking for how or who to feel it. I then decided to try it first by looking for funding to do it. And, you know, uh, again, I got an, a big disappointment because who's going to fund you for work that you haven't done at all? I wrote proposals after proposal asking for money to do audience research, and that wasn't coming. So I thought that a way of getting my foot in the door is to actually conduct some audience research, you know, and publish it just to show that this is something that I'm capable of doing in the hope that it would attract more funding going forward. Uh -huh. um, so, yes, that's the plain truth about that study. And if you see, it's very narrow in scope because, like I said, I had no funding. I had to spend out of pocket to conduct the study. Mm. Our audience study or research is, is, you know, quite difficult, time consuming and requires a substantial amounts of money to get from place to place mm. uh, and from groups of people to groups of people, you see. So I narrowed down that study using um, the theatrical release of one of Kulia Fonayo's film. I thought that anyone who's interested in going to the cinema at all would go when this big guy is releasing the film. And so I, there was the potential of getting information or learning about the experience of all kinds of cinema goers. So that's why I narrowed it down to that particular weekend, Friday to Sunday, and it was just people going to watch his films and you know what um, they made of the film and how they carried out their work of interpretation of this particular film. My goal was to actually define who the cinema-going audience is, because cinema-going is gaining popularity in Lagos, right? Uh, I gave the numbers of the cinemas in Nigeria. Lagos has half that. So if the whole of Nigeria has 58 cinemas, Lagos has half right. of that, 26, you know, because of so many reasons. You know, it's industrialized as a media capital. It used to be the capital of a country, etc. I decided to focus on, uh, uh, on this particular location. And I wanted to find out who the cinema go goers are, what their educational background is, where they lived, you know, how much they earned and how much they were willing to give to this favorite pastime of theirs, you know, and as well as how they do their work of interpretation. So my method was largely mixed. You know, I went from quantitative work to qualitative, you know, apart from the audience surveys I did, which was inspired by these authors, Ryan and Kellner, uh, who published a book in 1998 titled Camera Politica. They were researching film and politics. Mm -hmm. And one of their methods was um, just standing out the cinema and handing out copies of questionnaire to people as they exited so that they could fill out and um, uh, get their responses and then go analyze afterwards. So I thought that was an approach to use. Uh, I had to hire three um, research assistants and I put them in the different locations, in the two other locations. So I remained in one location and then I had my assistants in two other places. 
And we did the same thing, collecting information from people. But there were times when I had to go to those other locations because I wanted to have conversations with the audiences as well, in addition to what they filled out in there. It was a weekend of a lot of work, but I'm very happy I did it because it showed the potential as well as the shortcomings of, you know, um, the method that I used. And I know now what to do differently if and when I have to do that uh, work again. Fingers crossed that I'll get the funding that um, uh, I'm seeking. Mm -hmm. So the major findings of that, as I tried to explain before, is that cinema going in Lagos is a young woman's affair, really. You have the biggest age group of people who went to the cinemas, well, back in 2016 when the study was done, and actually, I could say till now is the group between 26 and 35 years old, you know, and for them is a status symbol. What I mean, what can I show? What do I what can I achieve by going to uh, the cinema? So apart from women going, we also had couples, as you say, yes, because if guys went at all, they went with their girlfriends. You know, I mean, it was a way of, you know, having a nice moment together, a hangout. Uh, because it's her birthday and they want to give her a treat and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so, yes, they did go. And it wasn't just about the film, as I expressed. It was an occasion, you know, a celebratory moment to dress up and go out to be seen and to see other people, you know, and uh, to window shop as well, because the shops in the malls where the cinemas are built are quite expensive, you know, and... Mm. Maybe only the upper middle class or the elites can actually afford uh, the items in those shops. So it's not uh, an all commas uh, kind of thing, but um, it happened, yes. Mm -hmm. The biggest cinema operator in Nigeria now, Film One Distribution and Film House Cinemas, is looking to build more cinemas at the community level. You know, it's a way of democratizing the cinema going culture, really, so that it's within the reach of everyone. For now, only the middle class can afford to go to the cinema, as I explained, because the tickets are quite expensive. But by the time they've built cinemas in communities, because Lagos alone has up to 20 million residents. So when you build cinemas in the numerous communities there, people will always go out to watch films and then, um, you know, they can make more money to continue building the project. But the federal government has invested somewhat in um, the establishment of cinema houses in the country. And well, we're hoping, they, the film operators are, the cinema operators, sorry, are hoping that more of that kind of investment would come so that there would be more cinemas. And that's also sort of plowing back to the industry that's given them content to exhibit, you know, because the more, and it's the problem that the fil filmmakers always um, cry about, that distribution is such a problem because you spend so much money making the film and you just don't have, you know, the platforms or the opportunities mm. to make your films. Uh, it sounds like exciting times for the country. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see how if mm -hmm. if these these community cinemas get up and, and running. That would be brilliant. Okay, I, I must let you go. So I, I'd just like to ask you one last question. So you talked about roundtables with uh, female filmmakers coming up in January. What 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 else are you working on uh, currently? I guess you've got the the film, the documentary to to complete as well. Are you, are you working on anything else at the moment? Well, yes, I'm working on 
where I'm just still conceptualizing and designing a countrywide study on cinema going, especially the historical bits, because there's little to nothing about historical cinema going in Nigeria. You know, and Nigeria is such a big country. And I said to myself, if Tanzania can produce this masterpiece that Laura Fair has put together, why not Nigeria? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that kind I mean, trying to be nationalistic in some sense, isn't it? There's lots to be told. And, you know, the, the academic gap is just there, yeah. you know, staring me in the face. So that's something that I would like to start as soon as I'm able to get the funding for it, yes. And I'm also researching China's presence in the Nigerian film industry. China has taken to Africa in the last, you know, couple of years, as we know. And um, it's investing more and more in Nollywood. So I'm trying to, you know, get into that too, to see what's, what's coming out of these apparent interests, you know, what's in it for China and what's in it for the local filmmakers as well. So, yeah, those are my projects. Wow, that sounds absolutely fascinating. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Homer podcast and talking to us. Well, it sounds like you've got enough enough research to fill the rest of your life quite, quite honestly, <laughs> easily. So good luck with it all and hopefully we might get you back on in the future to hear some more about your research. Thank so you. thank you so much for coming on. Thanks to you. Thanks for having me.